So that brings us to the seven peals of thunder in verse four to seven. And uh, they seem rather insignificant at first, especially since Daniel is told not to reveal them. Uh, but I came across a pretty interesting interpretation of what they are. And I'd like to share that with you because I, I find it very convincing. Uh, but we read that they are going to be sealed up. So in verse four, we read, when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was out to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. So first, we see that this lightning uh, usually indicates God's uh, judgment. In Revelation 4 and uh, chapter 4, verse 5, we see it surrounding God's throne prior to him releasing judgment on the earth. So we read, out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, firstly, it's, uh, it's not necessary here, I think, to identify these seven thunders as the seven spirits of God. I know we've encountered a few things so far that have been uh, the spirits of God, the seven eyes on the lamb, the uh, seven lamps burning before the throne, and the seven lampstands. But we also had seven stars, which were not the spirits of God, but rather pastors of the churches uh, in in Asia Minor. And these seven uh, thunders are not in any way in the context related to the spirits of God, whereas everywhere else that they do represent the Holy Spirit in some way, they are explicitly identified as such. And the seven spirits of God, we have not seen in any context outside of heaven during uh, this tribulation period from chapters four and on. But uh, what they may indicate is another series of judgments, uh, which is similar to the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. But John is not allowed to reveal what these are exactly. And that, that, has, that leaves us with two possibilities. One is that these judgments will not come to pass because God is having mercy. Uh, the symbols of mercy surrounding the angel uh, give credence to that idea. It also might be that these seven judgments are not being revealed because it's not yet God's timing for these to be revealed, and they would be revealed during that time of the end. Uh, I like the first view uh, because God often does speak about cutting those days short or cutting the judgments short that the earth could uh, undergo. And what this could be telling us about God is that even this tribulation period does not exhaust his ability to judge, but he has mercy uh, on the earth, and especially when it comes to his chosen people, Israel. So here in Matthew 24, Jesus Christ speaking to Israel through his disciples tells them about this great period of tribulation to come at the end of the world and says that he's going to cut that time short for their sake. So we read, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So in the Old Testament, 
when Daniel is given a similar revelation, he's told to uh, not reveal these revelations. In our in some of our first studies in Revelation, we identified those concealed visions of Daniel as probably what God is revealing here to John in the church age. And the reason he was not able to reveal them back in the Old Testament was because the church had not yet been revealed. There were mysteries of God that yet remained mysteries that needed to be revealed before revelation pertaining to them could be revealed to the world. Uh, so that is the other option for these seven fields of thunder, that there are yet mysteries that God has not revealed uh, that will be revealed during this time of the tribulation. Uh, but John was given the task at the beginning of the of Revelation, both in verses 11 and 19, to uh, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and things which are and the things which will take place after these things. So John is explicitly told to write. Thus, he's going about his duty when he begins to write about these seven fields of thunder. So this voice from heaven has to interrupt him and stop him from revealing these. It's probable that these were revealed to him because it's information uh, that he will need in order to understand the other prophecies which he is recording, but they're not necessary for those who will receive these prophecies uh, in the first century. Uh, this, is, again, is similar to Daniel's task. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 4 and 9, we read, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. He said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end time. So part of this has been revealed for us uh, graciously by the Lord in the first century. Uh, but either these seven peals of thunder will be canceled uh, in the end time or else they will be uh, revealed at that time fitting with God's timing. We also see sometimes that judgment that has been prepared is also stayed based on uh, based on reactions towards other judgments, especially with Israel where uh, as well as blessings, judgments can also be um, um, dependent upon different actions. So it might be that depending upon the actions of the world during these seven years, that there may be seven more judgments like the seals and like the trumpets that will come between the trumpets and the bowls. Uh, this voice from heaven, uh, it's most likely God, uh, Jesus Christ or God. Uh, we see this again in the Old Testament. We looked at one example earlier where the, the angel of the Lord called down to Hagar. Uh, but also we see this with God's stewards. We see here Abraham and Jacob being called to from heaven. Uh, but the message of this angel is that there will be no more delay in God's judgment. That the judgment is quickly wrapping up, essentially. So here in verses 5 to 7, we read, Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it. 
and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. So this imagery again of the angel now lifting up his right hand towards heaven as he's about to give this, uh, this oath that he swears by heaven. This is an image that should bring up in the first century Christian's mind, as well as any Jewish audience, uh, God's vengeance. This was uh, similar to how vengeance was uh, predicted upon nations which would come against Israel uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 32. So we read there, is it not laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine, and retribution in due time their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastened upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people, and will have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their strength is gone, and there is none remaining, bond or free, and he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge? See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hands to heaven. And say, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries and I will repay those who hate me. Now, this verse is part of what we call the, uh, the Deuteronic covenant or else the land covenant. And we're going we're gonna to do an entire uh, evening on this in probably September or so. Uh, but what's going on here in Deuteronomy is God has pronounced blessings and judgment against Israel based on how they react to his law. So that when this second giving of the law in Deuteronomy, just prior to Israel entering into the land, he predicts a series of blessings that they will receive if they follow the Mosaic covenant and a much larger portion of curses if they do not follow the covenant. Now, Israel is disobedient to the covenant at almost every turn. So all of those judgments we see coming upon them throughout all of history. But in chapter 32, God promises them a restoration to the land of Israel, as well a conquering all of those nations who have come against them. Now, this period in Revelation that we're about to encounter is explicitly Jewish in nature, in that this will be the time of the Antichrist's uh, most intense wrath against the people of God, the people of Israel. Remember, the church has already been removed from the earth. There are believers we see coming um, to faith, especially in chapter 7, we saw that. Uh, but God's primary focus here, just like in the Old Testament, is the covenant faithfulness of his people Israel. So we see here in Deuteronomy, this flash forward to this future period. This chapter, chapter 32 in Deuteronomy, is detailing exactly what's about to go on here 
in uh, the rest of Revelation. In Daniel 12, verse 7, uh, we see similarly, I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, and he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finished sh shattering the power, the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. Now, this time, times, and half a time makes a lot more sense in the Hebrew that it was originally written in, uh, because it correlates with one year being a singular time, uh, two years being a plural times, and half a time being half a year. And this makes three and a half years. Now, because it's uh, not the clearest way to indicate three and a half years, it's actually presented to us in three different ways. We get it as time, times, and half the time. We get it as 42 months, and we get it as 1,260 uh, 1, days. So it's very explicit that this time of Jacob's trouble is specifically uh, three and a half years. Let's see, we've got a comment here. Yeah, the holy people being here, Israel. And that's because this is the book of Daniel. Remember, the church does not exist at this point, nor has it ever been conceived of in any mind besides God's. Uh, so his holy people refers explicitly to those covenanted people under the nation of Israel. Uh, so uh, all of these revelations in Daniel are going to pertain to Israel. In Ephesians, we see the church referred to as the mystery of God. And a mystery throughout scripture consistently speaks to something that has never before been revealed until that revelation specifically. So until Ephesians was written by Paul, uh, the church had never explicitly been uh, detailed before or revealed before. Now, it was foreshadowed by Christ in chapter 16 of Matthew, uh, and it was even begun in the second chapter of Acts. But uh, revelation about it began under Paul, and we see that he was that missionary to the Gentiles uh, in about the midpoint of Acts chapter 15 or so. Uh, all right, so this brings, again, to our minds, uh, looking back at chapter 6 of Revelation, the cry of those who have been martyred of how much longer, because this angel is crying out that there will be no more delay. And... Uh, the, the time of the greatest persecution of the Jewish people is, is currently underway at the time. It's also going to be a time of judgment on the entire world. Again, that would be this angel standing on both the land and the sea. Uh, but it's, it's a different kind of judgment that we saw under the seals and under the trumpets, which was judgment, yes, but it also... Uh, left leeway and room for people to repent, where we were seeing things reduced to only a third being uh, being affected, so that uh, the two-thirds remaining would be able to look at God's judgment on the one-third of the earth and repent. And we saw at the end of chapter 9 that they did not repent, uh, even though they saw these judgments of God. And then the angel uh, 
announces or, or pledges his oath on essentially this alpha and omega god who has sovereignty over all things power over all things and authority over all things um, and this is important because of the judgments that are about to uh, about to come upon the earth in the second three and a half years this angel is again re-establishing the fact that god is over all things and has a right to judge all things so in revelation 1 17 to 18 by way of reminder we read, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and of Hades. So Christ associated with God as part of the Godhead, not only is eternal himself, but he has power over the great equalizer, uh, death. And John 1.1 1, 1, uh, lets us know that Jesus Christ was with God in the beginning. So here, in the beginning of Genesis, we read, in the beginning, God, Elohim, the plural uh, word for God, created the heavens and the earth. So God created both the heavens and the earth, uh, simply because he is the creator of all of these things. Uh, he may do what he likes with them. However, his nature being unchangeably good, uh, he has to only do good things. Thus, this judgment, because God is unchangeable, we understand as something that is good. And I think we can understand this uh, in our day, where we get righteously angry about justice that has not been served. Uh, if there is some great evil, I don't want to give examples, but uh, imagine someone does something horrible to another person, we want to see that judgment being served. So as awful as this time in future history appears, uh, it is the righteous answer to all of the prayers uh, for justice that has not been seen in this earth. We see that God uh, not only was the creator of, um, of the heavens, the earth, the seas, but he also filled it. So every creature in uh, these uh, heaven, earth, and sea belong to him, and he has authority over them. So in Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, we see that he filled uh, the heavens with, uh, let's see, he's, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens and separate the day from the night. So when we see judgments coming against the sun, the moon, and the stars, God has every right to do that. He's the filler of the land by vegetation. So when we see him burning up a third of the vegetation on earth, uh, he is not, uh, he is not uh, doing some polemic against the, uh, against earth itself, but rather against mother earth, as we saw. Uh, but he's not raging against climate here. He's raging against sin, uh, which has, uh, which we as humans have drawn nature itself into by choosing to worship it. Uh, he is the filler of land. Uh, he put animals on earth in, on day six. We read in Genesis 1, 24. Uh, he's the filler of land by mankind. On day six as well, he created mankind. So although they're of a different order of the animals and the vegetation, he also has dominion and authority over them. He's the creator of the heaven and the sea. 
in uh, in chapter one, verses six through eight of Genesis, we read that he is the creator of a different heaven, not the second heaven, but the first heaven, which is our atmosphere and the sea that he separated uh, the waters from the sky. And he also filled them. He filled the sky with birds and he filled the sea with, uh, with swarming fish, but also with great sea monsters and every living creature that moved. Uh, so he has authority over absolutely every single thing on earth. Nehemiah sums this up well. Um, in chapter 9, verse 6, he writes, You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, or host, and the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. So in this chapter, chapter 10 of Revelation, uh, we see this little scroll, uh, which Daniel is not permitted to reveal, still being handed down to him, and it'll be handed down for his consumption, and then he is going to be recommissioned to prophesy. So he can't reveal the explicit details of what these seven peals of thunder have written or have uh, spoken, but there are prophecies that uh, he needs to understand those seven peals of thunder in order to give. And so we see this office of prophet, Amos 3, uh, verses 7 through 8. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? So John has been given the words of the Lord, and it's incumbent upon him to prophesy using them. We also see that uh, this involves God's final word to mankind. In the book of Hebrews, uh, right in the introduction, we read, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. So there is a continuity between the prophets uh, who existed in the uh, nation of Israel and this uh, prophet of the last days, John, um, who is about to give the final revelation. So we read of God's final revelation, and I, I grabbed this quote from Tom Constable because I, I thought it was particularly poignant. He writes, when the seventh trumpet or angel spoke, God would fully reveal his mystery. That's the seventh trumpet that's about to, uh, about to sound. That'll be the seven full judgments. This is the mystery of God, probably refers to previously unrevealed details of God's plan for humanity that he was about to make known. Specifically, it refers to what will take place so the kingdom of the world becomes the kingdom of Christ. We'll read about that next week. At that point, the mystery is finished. This is the aorist passive of teleo. An aorist is a completed action, uh, which is not really controlled by tense, but usually in the past. Uh, it's translated in the past, but it simply means a completed picture, um, and it'll be viewed in the future here. So in the sense that God would have, 
would then have no more to reveal about these kingdom plans beyond what he revealed to John. So this, this will be a little more important when we get to chapter 22 and we see John is instructed to close the canon. Uh, these are the final revelations that are going to be given as special revelation. That is uh, the direct words of God commanded to be written, uh, at least during this uh, this age. It's possible that um, in eternity to come, there will be further or different revelations. But uh, for our time, these are the last words regarding the end times. So in Revelation 11, 15, we see God's final uh, judgment. It says, then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Now, why this continuity between John's message and the prophets of old is drawn here is because that's the primary message of the prophets in the Old Testament. Israel was founded for the purpose of being a nation, of being a kingdom uh, through which Jesus Christ would rule. They failed to receive Christ as their king, which they had been instructed to do since the book of Deuteronomy. So the prophets functioned as prosecuting attorneys during the period of, uh, of Israel's uh, theocracy. These prophets all preached this message of a coming kingdom. John's message relates to that future coming kingdom, which Jesus Christ will set up on earth after this period of the tribulation. So this message which the prophets have preached since the beginning, John is preaching the same message and saying, it's coming uh, at this point where Christ will take the throne. So these seven peals of thunder, uh, they appear to be uh, God's judgment. Uh, it takes place in a time which man could repent, uh, but also during which time the whole earth would die if judgment were allowed to continue. So it's possibly a staying of God's judgment where it's retracted in its severity so that the entire earth doesn't perish before God establishes his kingdom. Again, it will be important for mortals to enter into that kingdom, uh, which we'll, we'll recognize as we get further in the book of Revelation, especially as God's kingdom is revealed uh, in chapter 19 and 20. Uh, the completion of his judgment is justified. Uh, because he is the creator of all things. This final judgment has to do with the final word of the prophet, which is the kingdom of Christ.